So we're picking up in 1 John, uh, starting in chapter 4, and we're going to roll in from verse 19. John, uh, the apostle writing, he picks up in verse 19, and <clears throat> he gives us a simple statement to start off, but a, a powerful one. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So John's kind of getting at some commandments here and what it looks like uh, to be a child of God. He gives us the characteristics And here we just have one of those characteristics, but uh, that characteristic he tells us in uh, verse uh, 20 is that we have to love our brothers. And he doesn't, uh, you know, simply just mean our literal brothers, but uh, love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus says that that is the second greatest commandment. You ought to uh, love your neighbor as yourself. The first, of course, being you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And and here, John reiterates that commandment. He says, you ought to love your, your brother. And he says, the way that we know if you are a child of God is if you love your brother. Because those, uh, if, you, if you cannot love your brother... It demonstrates that, that you don't love God because you can see your brother, you can see their, their need, you can be compassionate towards them, and you can have that same love within you for people when you see them. But how can you love God whom you've not seen? Uh, you know, if, how can you claim that if you don't even love those who you see? Now, he traces this back for us in verse 19 to that very first statement. We love because he first loved us. And so if we, are, if we don't have that love within us, if, if that love is absent, it's because we don't know the love of God. We haven't experienced that. And, and so, therefore, we have to love God and love others. And he ends it in verse 21, uh, there in chapter 4. He says, The commandment that we have... From God is whoever loves God must also love his brother. So he gives us kind of, the, and we're going to look at these two kind of commandments that he's going to give us this morning. The first one there is that we have to, uh, we have to love our brothers. We have to um, remember what it looks like to love out of that love that Christ has loved us with. Now he goes on to uh, reiterate his case a little bit more in the beginning of chapter 5. And he says, starting off there, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So John starts off here reiterating what he's just said. If if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you have been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of God. Now, he starts off here telling us that everyone who believes Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. He means 
anyone and everyone. He's speaking to uh, anyone who, who would believe. He, he's telling us that anyone's able to become a child of God. Second Peter, uh, or Second Peter 3, 9 tells us that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's God's heart. That's what's being communicated here. That, that everyone is able to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And when you believe that, it testifies that you've been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Now, let me break this down for you. John is saying that when you have been born of God, you are born into a family and there's certain things about that family that are important. There are certain markers of that family. And so, you know, depending upon what region you grow up in or, or uh, you know, what, um, what location, depending upon what sort of culture you've grown up in, there are certain traditions that belong with certain families. And when you've been born into a family, you're expected to take on the characteristics of that family. And so, we know... In 1 John, we're told that God is love. God is love. He loves perfectly. He has always loved and, and has been in uh, existence in the Trinity with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. And the Holy Spirit loves the Father and the Son. There's this triune love that exists within their fellowship. God is love. And here, when we are born into the family of God, he tells us anyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone that loves the Father uh, loves whoever has been born of the Father. So you love the other members of your family because that's the marker of God. God is love, and so we ought to love the things that God loves. And one of those things is members of his family, those who are born of him. So we see God's heart here. Anyone's able to be a part of this family of God. We're all able to be his children. And so we see God's heart revealed. Let's take a quick look at some other passages that communicate this, that declare this to us. The most famous one that we know, of course, is John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's love there is, is so great that he tells us that whoever, anyone, uh, would, would believe in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Uh, at Pentecost, in the book of Acts, in chapter 2, we see Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit. There, this is his, his first, uh, you know, kind of... Sermon. It's at the beginning of the church when the Holy Spirit comes. In Acts 2.21, Peter declares, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He makes this great declaration. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, in Acts 10, we see the story of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion who heard the gospel, preached, and was converted uh, and Peter was summoned by Cornelius. He, after uh, Cornelius believed on the Lord, uh, Cornelius 
takes Peter and he says, you know, I want to bring you into my house and I want you to preach the gospel to my friends and my family. Acts 10.43 records this to us. And here's what, uh, here's what is said here. To him, speaking of Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So all throughout scripture we see different markers declaring that God's heart is that all should come to repentance. All should receive this great love that he has. He wants to enter into a relationship. Now, he tells us here that in 1 John uh, 5, that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So we have the everyone who believes, but there's a certain thing that you have to believe. It's that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is your Messiah, not just the Messiah. This isn't just a factual understanding. This isn't just book knowledge, but there is ownership attached to this. Okay, It's not that you just know some facts about Jesus, but that you are brought under his lordship. It's because you know, the way that we kind of uh, apply these things is important. Oftentimes the way that we treat uh, information, especially uh, you know, about Jesus, is we kind of uh, treat it like it's uh, a fact that... You know, it's kind of just given to us and that we may or may not want to operate in. You know, there's often, I remember growing up, there were often those, uh, you know, commercials that were on TV that were kind of like the anti-smoking commercial or the anti-drug commercials where they, you know, they have like the hot frying pan and they're like, this is your brain and there's like the little egg in there you know, and it's like cracked in there and it's all frying. This is your brain on drugs. Or, you know, they have the smoking commercials where they, they show like the, the two, the, the like one really pair of charred lungs and then the one healthy lungs. Or, you know, there's that one really freaky one that gives you like nightmares where like the lady has throat cancer and she has the hole in her throat and she smokes her cigarette through the hole in her throat. Gave me nightmares. Like so bad. It's like that's just the creepiest thing to see. But you see, uh, you see the effects of it, but then, you know, people that I grew up with, who I sat next to while I, we watched those commercials, they're out smoking. And you're like, you see what it can do to you. They have this knowledge. They see what, what it, it, uh, the possibilities that could exist. They have the facts. They know it's not healthy. It says, like, in huge letters on the side of, you know, the cigarettes, like, surgeon's general warning, like, you will die if you keep using this. But that's only helpful if you apply it. You're only able to benefit from that if you apply it. Now with Jesus, it's not enough to just recognize that that he is the Messiah. He has to be your Messiah. You have to submit to his lordship. You have to fall under his rule. And so when you... Join the family of God. You are making a declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you are going to be under his lordship. James uh, 2.19 really kind of uh, brings this home. He communicates here about how important it is to not just believe the facts, but to be under the lordship of Christ. In James 2.19 
uh, it tells us James is speaking to uh, speaking here to a group of people. He says, "You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, a f- foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless?" So James is saying here, like, that's great if you believe the facts, but even the demons believe the facts. Even they know that Jesus is Lord. Even they know and recognize who he rightly is. And so, in the same way, we have to respond from a place of rightly recognizing Jesus, not just as factually uh, who he says he is, but it has to call us to action. It has to call us to change our lives and to live our lives in a way that we're observing the facts and we're understanding them. It's not just that we want to make that declaration and say, yeah, it's true what it says, but you don't really believe it's true unless you're living like it's true. It's not enough just to, uh, to say that you believe, but you have to act upon it. You have to respond to it. And so in this same way, uh, John encourages us, or he gives us some, these directives here that we ought to, to love one another and we ought to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, he continues on in, uh, in verse 2. He says, By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey His commandments. When we love God and obey His commandments. So, two things here that we know. We know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. So those two things. Love God, obey His commandments. Those things testify. Those things Uh, reflect our commitment to him. So there's two things that we need to do. Love God and love his children. He told us uh, the commandment that we have there, right? What what does it say? This is the commandment that we have from him. 1 John 4, verse 21. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we have to love God and keep his commandments. John is reflecting that great commandment that Jesus spoke of. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And these two are connected. They're they're not one and the same, but they are connected. When we place Christ in his right position, when we recognize that Jesus is Lord, it allows peoples from all cultures, from all backgrounds, to come together under one name. And we have unity. No matter how different you are, no matter what culture you grew up in or where you're from, you have unity under the name of Jesus because you're members of the family of God. This kind of works like uh, an example uh, that is often used is this kind of works like a bicycle uh, wheel. Right? When you love God, when you put Christ at the center, then... Uh, it's easier to love others. And the way that it kind of reflects this bicycle wheel is when we have a bicycle wheel, right, there's this round circular object and then there's spokes on the wheel, right, that go around to hold that, that center uh, 
that center joint to the bike. And as we're all kind of represented of being outside of that, the more that we love God, the closer we all get to each other, the closer we all grow to each other. As you follow each spoke, it is connected to that center. And the more that we're focused towards that center, the closer we all become. Those spokes begin to get real tight towards the middle of that wheel. And similarly here, we're told, we know we love the children of God. We know when we love God and we obey his commands. So we have to love God, make him our focus, our joy, our center, our treasure, and then love his children. We have to pursue others through pursuing God's uh, loving God. Now, if you get these backwards, you end up in trouble. If you try just to love others, you end up doing all of the work yourself and making it all about yourself, and you turn loving other people into an idol. You turn yourself into being prideful, but it's the love of God that enables us to love other people well. Because let's face it, some people are not easy to love. Some people, it's really difficult to love them. They make things hard on themselves. We get have you know personal kind of pet peeves or annoyances that we don't really like about certain people, but yet we're told to love those people. But we can only love them with the love that God has because God's love is not built upon whether they whether those people deserve that love, but it's built upon his own uh, you know undying love for others. It's this agape love that scripture talks of. And so when we're able to love each other, it creates unity rather than division. Now that's not to say that there's not going to be quarrels or fights. Within a family, there's always kind of those things exist, right? My, my kids, they kind of get into little squabbles at home. Everyone has witnessed that, you know, these mental breakdowns where, you know, someone's got someone's crayon or, you know, you took my paper and there'll be a little, a little bit of a, a wrestling match or, you know, a little bit too much pouting. But yet, even though there's some fighting and some quarreling, still there's unity. They're members of the same family. Now, at school, if someone is being mean to my daughter, my son's not going to like that, and he's going to stand up. No matter how much squabbling they have at home, he knows that you don't mess with our family. You don't, you don't mess around you know, with that relationship. And so he will make sure that she's protected. There's a unity in that body. Now, that's the type of love that we want to have for one another. There's going to be squabbles because we're sinful. There's going to be quarrels because we are broken people. But yet we have this unity. We want our love to flow out of God's love. In, uh, in um, I want to say it's 2 Peter. It's 1 Peter, 2 Peter. You know, we're told that if anybody ministers, let him minister with the ability that God gives. If anyone loves, we want to love with the love that God has. And so we don't want to do it out of our own flesh because it'll be tiring. It'll be boring. It'll be hard. It'll be difficult. It won't happen. But if we do it out of the ability that God gives, then we'll be equipped to do it. We'll be able to be faithful to do it. Now, he goes on in verse 3. And tells us, for this is the love of God, 
that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now, when you think about commandments, you kind of just think about the Ten Commandments. Think about, like, we got to keep a bunch of rules. You know, got to play by the rules. Got to follow the rules. And because we're broken people, we all just want to break the rules. We're just like, don't tell me what to do. I want to do what I want to do. Leave me alone. I want to have my way. But John tells us here that when we love God, we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. And when you look at the way that this is phrased, it's surely John had Jesus' exact words in mind here. Flip over to uh, John chapter 14. It's like almost like he's copying exactly what Jesus had spoken already that he recorded in his previous book. In John 14, starting in verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So a couple things we want to notice there. The first thing is that we're to keep his commandments, right? That's what John just told us in 1 John. He's told us the words of Christ here in 1 John, or sorry, in John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will obey. You will do what I've asked you to do. So the first thing we want to notice that. And then the second thing is that we've been given the helper, right? Who is this helper? Verse 17 tells us there in John 14. It's the spirit of truth. And that spirit of truth is the Holy Spirit. And so we're not to accomplish this on our own, right? That's what I was just saying. We can't do it in our own ability. We can't do it with our own love. But we have to do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. He helps us. We have to do it with the ability that God gives. We're not to accomplish this on our own. It would be absolutely impossible to try to keep the law, to, to do this. But we're working with the leading of the Holy Spirit. He tells us there in verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You, knows, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the world doesn't have the Holy Spirit. The world doesn't have that ability. Does not have the Holy Spirit residing within them and helping them. The Spirit is given to believers as the guarantee, as the empowerment to live out Christ's commandments here upon the earth. To help us obey. Now, Back in 1 John, we're told the love of God is that we keep his commandments. And then he gives us a kind of another phrase here. His commandments are not burdensome. So we've been instructed to keep his commandments. But then he tells us his commandments are not burdensome. We are to keep them, but they're not burdensome. Now, when we become Christians... When we walk with Jesus, we take upon his yoke. Uh, Jesus speaks to us in Matthew 11. And he tells us in Matthew 11, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you 
and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, he's speaking of that, that, uh, that yoke is that wooden piece that would fit around two oxen who would plow a field together and they would, they would uh, walk side by side and they would have to be of that same strength. They would have to work together. And that yoke would allow them to uh, remain straight as they walked. It would give them the ability to work harder and to pull a great weight having the, the benefit of two. And so here Jesus tells us what I have, I can give you. Let me take upon all that, that difficulty that you have. Let me take that away from you. And you take that yoke that I have and put it upon you and learn. Because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I'm going to give you rest. I can work hard. You walk with me. I got this. We're going to go. And my yoke, he tells us, is easy. And my burden is light. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Now, his commandments are not burdensome. Jesus' burden, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Now, this doesn't mean that things are just going to be all super easy because we love Jesus. But rather, that these are the things that we are born to do. We're to walk in these commandments as the fulfillment of being born to be in a relationship with God, to know Him, to enjoy Him. And commandments are often seen to be a pain or a chore. It's like, you know, whenever I tell my kids, like, you got to go do this. You know, they're like, no, I want you to go pick up your room, pick up these clothes. You know, they don't want to hear those sorts of commandments. But commandments that we're told to keep here are not burdensome. So how can that be? We're to do these things joyfully under the Lord. And we want to serve those who we love. Now the reason that my kids don't want to, you know, do their chores, the reason that they don't want to to pick up their clothes or, you know, because I'm interrupting them from what they were doing. Oh, they're like, you know, I'm like, can you guys do this? They're like, I'm sorry, I'm doing this right now. Can you just hold on a second? I'm like, no, you need to do what I'm telling you to do. But the reason that we often get frustrated when people ask things of us um, is because we're selfish and we're trying to do our own thing. We're, at, we're asking people to do something or, or giving them some instructions. It's inconvenient. It's hard. It's difficult. But... When you find someone that you really love, that you really want to please, when they ask you to do something, it's a joy to do it. You're like, yeah, I can absolutely do that for you. I can, I can absolutely help you with that, or I can respond to what you're asking me to do, no problem. We serve those whom we love. You know, I, I love my wife, and therefore I do things to show her that I love her. I will respond to her in kind. When she's asking me to do things that I don't really want to do, I will try to take, do my best to stop and be like, 
I love you more than what I'm doing right now. And so I'm going to try to have my best attitude and get up and go do what, you're, you, know, what you need to have done. Try my best to have that joyful attitude and go and do it. Because I want to show her, like, I love you. You are more important, you know, than what I'm working on right now, than watching this game. Or you are more important than, uh, you know, playing my guitar right now. Or any of the things that I could possibly be working on. I want to show her. And so I want to get up and do that. The commandments that she has given to me are not burdensome. I'm like, not like, ah, be quiet. I don't want to do that. You know, I want to show her that I love her. And so it's, it's not a big deal at all. I'm like, absolutely. I can totally do that for you. You know, I can totally help you out. This has really worked out really well for us in Genesis 29. In Genesis 29, uh, we have the story of Jacob, who, uh, you know, was, was searching for a wife. And here he finds this woman, Rachel. And so he's speaking with Rachel's father in Genesis 29, verse 18. And it says, Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. So Jacob's like, I will work for seven years so I can, so I can marry her. And her father Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. That's the type of love that we're looking at here in First John. He worked for seven years and it only seemed like a few days because he loved her so much. He wanted to, uh, to have that relationship with her, to marry her. And so he worked hard. He went through great difficulty, but it, it was like not even a big deal. Now, in 2 Corinthians 9, we see this kind of attitude of obeying the commandments of the Lord joyfully. Here's what it tells us, and this is regarding tithing, giving. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, it says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, we're to give. It tells us you have to give. You're supposed to give. But you want to do it out of the right attitude. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. He wants you to respond and obey His commandments joyfully, not out of duty. And so we obey because we love Him. We obey the commandments of the Lord because we want to know Him and enjoy Him. See, when we think about God, we think about, okay, there's God and He's in heaven and when we die, we're going to be in heaven. But the only reason that heaven is heaven is because God is there. Heaven isn't the description of like where it's just, you know, the streets are made of gold and the pearly gates. Like, that's not the description of heaven. If God wasn't there, then it wouldn't be heaven. That's why the description of hell is, is outer darkness. It's complete separation from God. It's, it's this picture that God's presence will never be there. And so it's important for us to understand that because our goal isn't to get to that place where we have this sweet mansion and you know everything is bright and shiny and perfect, but to be where God is, to know Him because we love Him. 
the commandments are not burdensome because we have this great love for him. The longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. And the theme of the chapter is the word of God. As if, you've, if you've never read through Psalm 119, I encourage you to read through it. It's awesome. Every verse in Psalm 119, except for two, uh, mentions the word of God in one form or another. It, it describes it as the law, precepts, commandments. Uh, the psalmist says, I, I love thy law. He rejoices in the law. He delights in it. He says in, uh, in verse 103, it's honey to his taste. And he turns the law into a song. He says, my statutes have been, or your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. His greatest joy is to delight in the law of the Lord. It's, it's to enjoy the commandments of the Lord. To understand that those things were given to protect him and to help him know Jesus uh, more faithfully. We see this worked out and we see the heart of the psalmist. And this isn't just in in Psalm 119, but let me read a couple of these to you. In uh, in Psalm 1, Psalm 1, verse 1, we hear, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits in the way of sinners, uh, or no, sorry, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Psalm 40 verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Psalm 112 verse 1 Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. So verse after verse after verse, we have the psalmist, you know, saying like, I love the law of the Lord. I love his commandments. I love his precepts. Because he's, he's built his life upon knowing and loving God. Psalm 119, verse 16. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Psalm 119, verse 24. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Psalm 119, verse 35. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Psalm 119, verse 47. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Psalm 119, verse 69 and verse 70. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. Psalm 119, verse 77. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. I mean, we can just go on and on and on in Psalm 119. But you get the point. He is obsessed with the Lord's commandments, with knowing the word of God, hearing that, and delighting in that. Because the word of God reveals to us God's character, and it shows, when we keep his word, when we keep his law, it shows, it testifies of our love for God. Right? That's what, that's what uh, John tells us. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And we see that testify uh, to by the psalmists. 
He's like, I love keeping the word. I love keeping the, the, the testimonies and the law of God. It's my delight. They're not burdensome. I love it. He go, you know, one of the ones he says uh, that I didn't read in Psalm 119, verse 92, he says, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. He says, the law governs him. It gives him direction. It helps him to, to ground him. So that way, when he faces affliction, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, uh, you know, he wouldn't have perished, but he was kept by the law. And so, the psalmist here communicates what John has been saying. In verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, John goes on in verse 4. And verse 5, we'll wrap up here. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So, now John kind of transitions to keeping his commandments, uh, from keeping his commandments, and his commandments not being burdensome, to a benefit, another marker of one who is a child of God. First, we saw that a child of God is one who loves his brother. Secondly, here we see that a child of God or, and someone who's been born of God is someone who overcomes the world. So how is it that we can become world overcomers? I mean, it's like, you know, we're small, insignificant, Jesus told us, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And because Jesus has overcome the world, as we abide in him, we are overcomers with him. So it's not just that we overcome the world, but it's that we're members of the family. Members of the family overcome the world because Christ has overcome the world. John, uh, he tells us that in John 16, 33. He has overcome the world. We're promised trials. We're promised tribulations. We're promised that we're going to face the world. But Christ has overcome the world. Now, overcomers, because we are members of the family of God, because we are born of God and we overcome the world, we have victory, he tells us. So this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And our faith is in Christ. Not in ourselves, not in our own ability to overcome, but in his victory that he has already overcome. Now, <clears throat> Jesus promises something special to those who have overcome. In Revelation 3, verse 21, Jesus says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. So, as we overcome through Him, through Christ, because He has overcome, we have been granted to sit with Him. We've been given that same privilege, that same ability that He has, just as He has sat down with the Father. Uh, secondly, 
overcomers, we can overcome this world because Christ has overcome. But we can, we can do it in a couple different ways. Jesus, uh, or in Revelation 12, uh, we hear this message to John again. Revelation 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, that's Satan, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. Now verse 11. And they overcame him, speaking of the saints, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the saints are you and I, Uh, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. So, a couple things that are happening here. One, Satan's bringing accusations. Satan is, is the one who is saying... You are sinful. You have, been, you have done this. You, have, you are not righteous. But what does it tell us? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And their way that they, they put Satan's accusations to rest was to say, yeah, absolutely that I did that. But Christ's work upon the cross has cleansed me and cleansed you from sin. And he has washed us and made us new. He has made us new creations. And we can overcome those accusations from Satan because of Christ's blood. The second thing that we see there in Revelation 12 is that uh, they overcome Satan's deceptions by the word of their testimony. They speak of Christ's salvation and how he has redeemed. When Satan brings those lies, they look at how Christ has saved them and reflect upon that and communicate that. Right? That's what we sang earlier in the song. When Satan tempts me to despair. You know, and and he points to that guilt within. We look up and see him there who made an end of all my sin. He's speaking of looking at that Christ seated before, you know, seated with the Father, testifying upon our behalf. We overcome by the word of our testimony. And then lastly, because, it tells us in Revelation 12, verse 11, because they did not love their lives to death, they overcome Satan's violence. The threat that Satan makes in John, Jesus tells us of Satan in John 10, is that Satan is a robber. He has come to steal to kill and destroy. And his threat is to try to kill. To kill you. To create violence against you. But because they didn't love their lives to death, to the death, because they weren't invested in keeping you know, this mortal body around, but they knew that they were eternal and had an identity that was built upon Christ... Satan had no power. His violence could not, could not uh, you know, overcome them because it ultimately could not snatch them out of Christ's hand. So Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. And so he finishes, uh, we finish with the words of John in John 15 where John 
uh, or Jesus speaks in John 15. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus communicates what kind of John's trying to communicate here in uh, 1 John 5, in John 15. He says, I'm the vine, I am the source of life. And you are the branches. When you abide in me, and, and I in you, you're going to bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we have to recognize that Jesus is the Christ, and we have to apply that. We have to submit ourselves to his lordship. It can't just be a factual thing. Yes, that's true. But it's only, you, only, you only recognize that it's true if you act upon it. It's true, then you owe him your life. We have to love God as we're all connected to that vine. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. As we are all connected to him, we have to love our brothers. We have to love God and love our brothers. And then lastly, we have to keep his commandments. Right? And when we keep his commandments, when we do the things that he has told us to do, it, we bear fruit. When we walk in the commandments that he has laid out before us, we show that we belong to him. We have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We, we show that we, um, our, our, our lives testify that we belong to him. And so we bear fruit. And that's what Jesus says here in John 15, verse 5. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you're apart from him, John tells us, if, if, you don't, um, if, you don't love, if you don't obey his commandments, you don't love God. If you don't love your brother, you don't love God. You don't know him. And when you know him, you're able to love with the ability that he loves. When you're able to walk in the commandments that he has set forth before us. Not on our own. Remember we saw that. We looked at that. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to do that. That helps us to do that. And we bear much fruit as a result. But it's connected to, like we said, right? Knowing God. The first, uh, although John is speaking of these things of loving our brother, uh, although he's speaking of bearing much fruit, that starts out of the ability, uh, or not the ability, it starts out of the, the motivation to know and enjoy Jesus first. And that's what we want to we look at. And we know that we can know and enjoy Jesus through his word. That's why he's given it to us. That's why it's so important to look at uh, the Psalms there, what the psalmist was saying. You know, I delight in your law. I love your law. Because as he comes to scripture every day, as he spends time looking at the word of God, every time he comes and, and flips through the pages and meditates upon the word of God. He's, you know, we saw there in Psalm 1, you know, uh, blessed is the man it speaks of he's he's happy he's he's fruitful blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the lord and on his law he meditates all day and night he spends his time in the word of god and so 
as, uh, as we wrap up, that is our exhortation. That's what we want to find ourselves in. We want to find ourselves digging into Scripture and knowing the Word of God more and more and more. We want to, we want to do more time in the Word as we know God, as we enjoy Him in Scripture, as we meditate upon His Word day and night. We will in turn love our brothers and sisters we will in turn obey His commandments because we know His commandments and we will bear fruit because we are abiding in Him and He will be abiding in us. And so it's Holy Spirit that will speak to us and communicate with us and lead us into all truth as He said He would. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to give us that great passion, that great desire, uh, an appetite for, for the Word. Lord, we're thankful for uh, our time together as we got to look at Scripture and look at Your Word. Lord, and we want to have a a great appetite for it. Lord, we want to... Lord, approach Scripture each day, Lord, with that anticipation that You've been waiting to speak to us, to communicate with us. Lord, we know that you have given it to us so that we might have everything that we need for life and godliness. And Lord, we want to take you at your word and we want to be obedient. So we pray that you would open our eyes, Lord, each morning as we uh, purpose to spend time with you. Lord, we pray that you would give us uh, just a great dependence, a great... um, desire, Lord, to know you more. Lord, we want to abide in you. We want to reflect, Lord, your character, your love for us, Lord, in our relationships with one another. We want to bear much fruit, Lord. And so empower us by your Holy Spirit to do that. Lord, we need your help. We know we can't do it on our own. We want to encourage one another. And we love you. Amen.